We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate DAP for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. What's up, guys? This is the Uncontested Podcast, covering the Oklahoma City Thunder. This podcast is ran by Jacob, Nick, Justin, Taylor, and Kamiar. Listen to future episodes on your favorite podcast streaming service like iTunes or Spotify. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating. This is Lou Dorch. You're listening to the Uncontested. What is up? Welcome to the Uncontested Podcast. We've got the whole team here with you today. Kamiar, Taylor, Justin, Nick. And myself, Jacob Niffin. Um, guys, we have a lot to chat about today, so I just wanted to go ahead and let us hop right into it. We are recording this podcast Sunday evening about 9.30 p.m., uh, and just like the rest of the NBA world, we are all um, thinking and coping and and working through the news that came out early this afternoon that a, a helicopter crash in Los Angeles ended up resulting in the loss of life of Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter, uh, Gianna. And so we figured we would just start this podcast off uh, the first 10 or 15 minutes or so and just talk about the the life, the legacy, the impact of Kobe, not only on basketball, but on, on us personally and our, our thoughts as well. So... I don't know. I'm just I'm just gonna throw that out there, and then whoever wants to go, just let's 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 talk some Kobe. I don't know. I can't. 
little tribute there for Kobe. <laughs> Thank you for that, Taylor. Always count on Taylor for the yeah. nasty sounders. With the, the yeah. sounders that he puts sounder. his phone up to the mic. Um, the I was going to say, I can't speak for everyone, but I kind of feel like Kobe was my generation's MJ to a little bit. Like, MJ's always everybody's MJ, but... MJ played when I was alive, but when I really started paying attention to basketball, like Kobe was the dude. MJ was in the later years of his career. And when I was actually like getting into the game, it was Kobe and Shaq and the Lakers that were dominating. And then he had a renaissance and did it again. And just the amount of rings and the amount of incredible performances that I saw kind of when I was going through like middle school and high school really just kind of he was that guy before LeBron came on stage and I feel like younger guys like Taylor and Nick LeBron's probably that guy for you guys but for me it was Kobe so I disagree is it my t- you guys want me to go yeah yeah <laughs> okay so we were uh we we did get to see all LeBron you're right on that Justin but when I got into the NBA or when, when I got into the game of basketball in general um we were still kind of in that transition period between MJ, um, Kobe was kind of starting to peak, um, and we obviously yep. didn't get to see his first two years where he was almost like a Paul George-esque role player before Paul George breaks onto the scene. Kobe had a similar uh, similar start to his career, I think you could say, before he kind of exploded and became the superstar that we know and love. Um, but just for me personally, you know, the game of basketball has always, has always been really important to me. Um, some of my earliest memories, and not my earliest basketball memories, but literally memories in general. I remember being like three, four years old in uh, Edmond, Oklahoma, and going to uh, watch my dad play in his church league. And during that same Was period... Michael Cage there? Yeah, from Michael Cage. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, he might have been, if we're being completely honest. Uh, Edmond, Oklahoma, it makes sense. Um, and then, <laughs> But then around that same time period... My dad started coaching me um, in basketball at the YMCA. Obviously nothing serious, but my dad would continue to coach me all the way until I started school ball, right? So all the way through about middle school. And um, basketball has been something very important to me, my little, my youngest brother, um, and, or my youngest sibling, who happens to be my brother, and then uh, my dad as well. So growing up, I watched a lot of basketball. And I think the three players that stood out to me, Justin, you, you know, you mentioned LeBron, but even before that, Kobe, um, Vince Carter. Vince Carter is actually the reason that I chose the number 15 whenever whenever I was old enough to pick a number for basketball. And then Allen Iverson. And so I'm thinking back on those three players. And you know, and, and then I think of uh, how my love for basketball really grew substantially whenever the, the Thunder came to OKC. And almost immediately, my favorite Thunder player, like even after season two was Russell Westbrook, even with Kevin Durant being the budding superstar that he was becoming. And I don't think it's it's a coincidence that Russ was my favorite after growing up watching and idolizing Kobe Bryant, Vince Carter, Allen Iverson. And Russ had the Mamba blood. Right, right. And so that, that's kind of what I'm getting at. I think in a lot of ways, Kobe Bryant influenced how I watch basketball and also who I enjoy watching play basketball. And um, because of that, that ultimately kind of shaped how I, I how I viewed the game of basketball as a whole, but more specifically, how I even watched and viewed the Thunder. Um, Russell Westbrook was a guy that stuck out to me rather than Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant may, may have been the Michael Jordan of the Thunder early on, but I think Russell Westbrook was more of the Kobe Bryant. And um, I really I really kind of stuck with that. I don't know. I, I just, um, I always have 
thought highly of Kobe. And when I saw that news today, it was one of those first, like, I don't usually get upset with celebrity deaths. Like, you know, obviously it's disheartening and troubling, but I'm able to move forward with my day, for example. And today I was not able to do that. It, it definitely stuck with me. It resonated with me on a different level than any celebrity death has before this. It was a rough one for sure. Um, I mean, I, I tweeted this earlier today, but I, I was never a Kobe fan, right? Like I actively cheered against Kobe. Uh, I never, as far as a basketball player, uh, he was not a guy that I cheered for, but I would be remiss to, to ever doubt the impact that he had on basketball. Um, you know, I, I, for me with Kobe, it always goes back to that first playoff series here in Oklahoma city, Thunder versus Lakers, uh, the Pau Gasol tip in at the end of the game uh, and the the post game where they interview Kobe and he says that he's going to have they said what did you say to, to KD and Russ there and he said uh, there there's some real ones and we're going to have to battle them for years and years to come and and to get for for my and he also commented on on the fans and for my city and the team that I cheered for uh, to get the public nod of respect from from Kobe from that dude uh, that that meant something, you know, and it was like we and made to it. Me, yeah, agree. to me that was that was the ultimate sign that that you had made it. Is if if Kobe was was giving you the head nod, uh, you had made it. You were good, right? And also, you were, you were in the mean, franchise. Yeah, Kobe. You know, just the global ambassador he is for the game. Uh, Kobe is probably the most widely known uh, and and public person in support of women's basketball and girls basketball and, and, and just what he does for the game, um, you know, is massive and, and it will be, it'll be sorely missed. Very good point. I mean, something that's really interesting about Kobe is that, I mean, he, and I'm like Justin said, um, he was this kind of generations, Michael Jordan, um, growing up, you see a lot of kids, you know, at the basketball leagues or whatever, wanted to wear number eight. Uh, then, of course, he cut the hair, got rid of the weird facial hair, the goatee, and started wearing 24, especially after the Shaquille O'Neal stuff. But um, what's really interesting is that, I mean, MJ paved the way for the modern NBA superstar, really, uh, beyond basketball and a lot of other things. And True. Kobe carried that torch and transcended it a little bit more. Uh, and it's a clearly much bigger than much bigger than basketball like people that don't know um, anything about the NBA or really anything about sports in general they know about Kobe Bryant and maybe some things he's done uh, they definitely know his face they know his ads they know maybe movies he's been in and stuff like that he's a one-name superstar yeah I mean it's Kobe you know and like hell it's like even even like just a verb or something that you might even say like like, what do you what do you what do you what do you say when like you crumple a piece of paper and shoot right. towards the trash can? I was about to say that. Call me and I teach high exactly. school. You say every, Kobe. every time kids throw paper at the trash can. Yeah. Kobe. And it's like a some fadeaway bullcrap shot that Kobe would have made uh, that of course most of us average folks don't. Uh, so like it's just become like a thing. Like people don't say, "Oh, Jordan." No, they don't do that. That's because Kobe took that model that Jordan created and took it a step further um, with with an essence to everything. And then just the way, um, he did all kinds of projects for stuff for people in LA. He was a humanitarian as well. I mean, and say what you want about his personal life and say what you want about like all things that happen. That's probably not the time. And it's, it's just, he did a lot for the game. He did a lot for people beyond the game. 
He did a lot for modern NBA superstars, just like right. MJ did for him. And the future um, of NBA superstars. Yeah. Like the, the future, the, the youth that are getting involved in the NBA. Um, like Trey Young having a tribute today, um, wearing the number eight instead of 11 to start the game because Kobe had personally reached out and invested in Trey to a certain extent. Um, his, and there his was daughter, that interview, who, yeah, where Kobe said his daughter loved to watch Trey, Trey Young, Young play. That I thought that was super favorite cool. player. Yeah, right. Um, he invested in so many other – he invested in the youth and the future of the league and the, the future of the game rather than just just the current superstars like you mentioned, Kamiar. And I, I love what you said, Jacob, about the WNBA and um, women basketball players. Like it was just – it was so great that he was one of the first superstars to really take that head on and, and kind of spearhead that movement and um, really fight for them. I think that's incredible, um, and it's – yeah, it's tough. I was and, I was speechless for a lot of today. I mean, it's, his last playoff game was in OKC. Second to last game ever was in OKC. Yeah, that was really um, cool. And uh, so his last game, playoff game is in OKC. Second to last game ever uh, against OKC. And then you always talk about how like like turning things from him to the Thunder. Really talking about you know Kevin Durant and Russell and Russell in particular saying, you know, Russ had Mamba blood inside him as far as, like, never giving up and being ruthless and attacking the day. And that's something that Kobe, people don't really think about a lot, but Kobe, like, tirelessly worked for the game. Um, This man won a damn NBA championship with a broken finger where, like, he's, like, literally shooting the the ball with – in the in the curl going off his broken finger right uh, this man like tears his achilles right yeah ruptured the achilles ruptured and went out there to shoot two free uh, throws the achilles like, thank you very much so many games with so many different ailments and you have jordan you know like with the flu he had, he had a flu game it's like oh that's fantastic but otherwise like now you have players like sitting out back-to-backs because of whatever you have like nba superstars sitting out back-to-backs and kobe was playing every game regardless so uh, just a tribute to some guy that was incredibly um, transcendent of what MJ did for the game, and he furthered that. I went back and watched. I was looking at old Kobe clips, and uh, the Lakers had a really good thread on their Twitter handle today of old clips. Do you guys remember when Kobe threw the assist off of Ibaka's back? No. Yeah, I do this? recall that now that you I had like. Up kind of forgotten about it until I saw them post the video, but he's like curling around Ibaka and he throws it off Ibaka's back and it bounces into the hands of Jordan Hill for a dunk. That was fantastic to kind of relive that moment today. That's funny. Yeah. Well, Nick, any thoughts? uh, No, I think you guys have hit, you know, most of the things on the head. The, the thing that stands out most to me is just kind of the, the household name that he was. So, uh, and you guys touched on this some, but for as big of a an NBA guy as I am, like my mom might know the name of five basketball players ever. And saying his name today, like, holy crap, this just happened. It was like, if my mom knows who somebody is by just saying their name, that like says a lot. And uh, it just, it's super sad. And, and it's one of those things that, I don't think his legacy or his impact on the game is going to stop now, uh, which goes to say a lot about a guy that can do something like that without actually living any longer. Yeah, the and and to me, I don't know the maybe the most heartbreaking thing of of all of it is uh, that not only I mean there nine people lost their lives today, but right. for for Kobe to lose his life, 
um, with his daughter, his 13 year old daughter on the way to, to her game. You know, sometimes I, I, I don't like that my brain goes to this place, but like, I just imagining, uh, that helicopter going down and Kobe holding his, his baby girl, his daughter, um, knowing that he can't protect her and, uh, and, and what those final moments, it's sickening. I'm with you. Yeah. What those final moments were like for those two and, and all the families included and involved and, uh, just absolutely heartbreaking. And the entire NBA, mourns the loss of Kobe. My favorite thing today is even though the NBA still decided to play games, which was somewhat controversial, that we had almost every team, uh, not almost every team that played today either took a 24-second or an 8-second violation in honor of Kobe Bryant uh, sure. for their first possession of the game. Um, that was awesome. Which which is an awesome tribute, uh, but also there's no way Kobe Bryant wouldn't get a shot up in 8 seconds as well. You know, <laughs> so... Um, that's fair, but I, I but, think you, uh, you juxtapose that image that you mentioned, Jacob, of um, Jacoby and his daughter in the helicopter to that video that circulated a lot today, but that we saw here about a month ago, uh, maybe a little less than that. I think December, and that video was side. taken when they were playing Dallas, whenever the Lakers were playing Dallas, and when I think Luka he was came. going back okay. and forth with uh, with Luca. Gotcha. That was the same game. Well, where yeah. he's uh, essentially there's a video of him pointing out plays to his his daughter, the same daughter who. Um, was in the helicopter with him today and just I mean it really it, it I'm speechless <laughs> because it, it was it was perfect um, just him genuinely sharing his love and passion for the game of basketball with his daughter who he loved more than anything right and um, wanting to share that with her she shared that same passion and uh, juxtaposing that image with the image that you mentioned Jacob I think it's just um, it's powerful and moving but uh, extremely extremely sickening yeah so um, we, we, we could talk and do a whole podcast over Kobe, um, but, but let's go ahead and transition and, and try to make this one a little more lighthearted now by shifting over to some Oklahoma City Thunder talk. So the Thunder this past week go 4-0. Uh, they beat, I don't even have the teams in front of me now, um, but, but they, who all did they beat? They beat um, not good teams. Minnesota, yeah, Minnesota, up, Atlanta, Orlando, and the Rockets. Right, yep. uh, the Rockets, the most surprising of them all. Um, but that four and zero week puts them at seventh in the West. They are two losses behind Dallas, uh, and they will play Dallas uh, tomorrow night, Monday night. Um, Dallas is in sixth place. My question for you guys is: What is the biggest trend that you've noticed about this team? Uh, from this past week and, and, and a trend that you think we may see continuing moving forward. Lou freaking Dort. Lou. Lou Tang. Lou Tang clan. Lou Tang clan. The Thunder, as you mentioned on your post game pod last night, Jacob, they are four and oh when Lou Dort starts. Uh he's just he's a dude. Like it's awesome to watch him play. Uh, so much more than I ever expected to see out of him. We knew the like physical tools were there. You had kind of given us some good intel, having watched him on the blue of kind of like seeing little flashes here and there, but like watching him go out. And I know you've pointed this out too, Jacob of like the guys that he's guarded is really like an elite class of guards. He's, he's guarded. Like what's going to end up being half the all-star team, man. Right. right. And Literally. he's, he's done it incredible job i covered the the hawks game the other night and trey young had was two for 11 in the first half and not obviously not 
all guarded by Dort, but like he was a huge factor in that, and he's just been super impressive this last week. It's uh, it's been a joy to watch. I don't think I'm gonna get to watch Lou play G League games anymore. Whenever I go to cover the <laughs> cover cover the blue, I don't think that's gonna happen anymore. Uh, but it's been awesome. My theme, Justin, would go along with yours, uh, and that's just the the young guys in particular, right? Lou, Baisley, yep. Diallo. Uh, the youth of this team is really stepping up and and playing incredible. I think Baisley had maybe the best game of his young season last night, uh, and and just incredibly impressive on his end. You know, we were talking uh, before the podcast online a little bit, and I'm interested. Maybe while while someone else is giving a theme, I'll look this up. But at this point now. Um, it seems like Baisley should have gone a hell of a lot higher in the draft. Right. And and uh, j- just his development and what he's doing. You said they're 4-0 whenever Dort starts. Thunder are 7-1 and whenever Darius Baisley starts. And the one loss a fun, uh, was fun a really stat. bad loss in the Memphis Grizzlies. I, I, I'm just going to build off what both of you just said. I'm going to take that a step further and just say the, the death of this team and how interchangeable all their players are with the system that Billy's put in place for starters and how all the players have bought into that. Um, Because you have guys like, for example, Steven Adams has been banged up basically the entirety of this week, and the Thunder are still able to to pull off some of these huge wins, particularly like in in Houston, for example, where uh, Nerlens is already out. Steven gets hurt very beginning of the game. They're playing without a center for the entirety of the game. I'm sorry. I refuse to believe that Mike Muscala is actually a center. He's playing small ball, <laughs> small ball five, but he he'd be a great. He's perfect for a stretch four, but I don't think he's a center, even though he's playing great minutes there and contributing. And then you're playing Deontay Burton at your backup five, like that's just insane. And the Thunder are able to pull off that comeback. You're able to plug and play players around that three guard core of Shea, um, of Chris Paul, and of Dennis Schroeder, and it works. And I think a lot of that, a lot of that, it says a lot about Billy, for example, but also the, the players buying into the system in general. So, like I said, I'm just going to take that a step far, further, um, kind of build off what both of you, Justin and Jacob, both of you said about the team and just their depth and um, just how the team is bought into to the system that Billy has implemented. I'm really impressed. It's been super fun to watch. And like Jacob said, so I have a question for you guys. I, I want to go ahead and bring this up. Jacob said this might be the most fun team since the 2016 playoffs what is your guys' thoughts it's a lot of fun because there were no expectations and this team is really surpassing the last three teams that have come through OKC I mean the Russ MVP year was just fun in general because he had two big men that could rebound the hell out of the ball and play pick and roll all day with Steven Adams and Ennis Cantor but uh, this team has seemingly been like in flux and con- kind of honestly like really, really tense since the finals run because the expectation every year was, well, they need to go to a title. Um, and then now it's like, oh, yeah, we don't have expectations. And Vegas puts the odds at them winning barely over 30-something games. And now like they have – they're a little over halfway over the season and uh, they're, you know – they're like half a game. If they win tomorrow, they're half a game out of the fifth seed, and that would put them like about ten games out of the ninth seed, which is unbelievable. Um, so I think it's I think it's a lot more fun because there's just low expectations, and then uh, Dennis Schroeder becoming a very real guy, uh, and then you just see the team having fun in general. Like, how can you not 
look at the team after a game, like Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder, like hugging each other, slapping each other on the chest after a game when Dennis Schroeder just went nuts. I think it was the Houston game. And then just other things where they're like always clowning each other after the games and like smiling, having fun, celebrating for each other instead of like other guys selfishly playing. And so like on any given night, somebody can go off. Like Shea had a kind of garbage night last night. Yeah, he did. And but I mean like Dennis Schroeder just like constantly has consistently been going off. CP3 is a good game. Mike Muscala is a good game. All the young guys had a good game. Uh, no Danilo Gallinari. So it's like you just have so many things on this team that uh, that just make you really happy. Uh, and just so many things that like tomorrow, like going to the Dallas game, should they lose against Dallas with Luka and Porzingis? Probably. But if they win, like are you elated? Yes. And would you be surprised if they did win? Not really. And then so it's just, it's just a lot of things going on there that instead of because like just think about this. OKC with Russ, and whether it was Paul George or KD on the team or whoever was there under Billy Donovan or Scott Brooks, uh, a team that would that would be severely undermanned would come, or a team that would be undermanned would come, and just some random guy, like, oh, who, who's going to be the random guy that goes off against OKC tonight uh, because some team might have a few injuries, and now it's like you're looking at OKC, and because it's just the system that's put into place that the players are growing into day-to-day, week-to-week, and clearly now it's month-to-month with developing, developing team chemistry, now it's the Thunder's turn to say, man, like in this system of what they're expected to do, and Billy Donovan's coaching them, and their staff has really been you know, killing the players with as far as like buying into the system and not playing hero ball. Now it's the OKC you know, Thunder that's what random guy is going to go off tonight. Is Basil going to score 15? Is Dort going to go off for 10? Is Hami going to get another double-double? Uh, so you have a lot of guys. Even Nader, a, a name that we hated last year, is like, hey, he's playing pretty well, actually, this year. So it's just really fun for a lot of different reasons, and it's more fun than, you know, honestly, the last time Dion Waiters was in OKC, and they should have gone to the NBA Finals. <sighs> yeah, Speaking of... Thank God he is Speaking back. of, Dion was hooping the other night. Yeah, he was. Hooping, hooping. My God, I would give my life and soul for Dion Waiters. <laughs> Get <laughs> your loved, weight up. What a man. I loved Chris Paul's comments after the game last night. Uh, he said something along the lines of, you know, talking about the different guys being out. And he was like, that's just how it's been this season. But everybody knows that it's next man up and we've heard him say that a few times but the look on his face when he said it and like chris paul who's been around the block a few times uh he's no stranger to to seeing different team cultures and things like that in the nba he looked like genuinely surprised at at the resiliency of the thunder and i think that's so cool to see just from like a team chemistry and culture standpoint that it feels totally different than any thunder team that we've had before it's awesome. I agree. Uh, Nick, do you have any big themes that have kind of stuck with you? Yeah, I've got two. Uh, I'll make them quick, though. So the first one is that, that next man up mentality we've talked about. And that's been something that, you know, all these guys have mentioned, you know, in, in post game, uh, you know, media type questions and, you know, talking to Nick Gallo after games. And, you know, we touched on this a bit, but it's so true that no matter who's out that game, there's been. I feel like at least the past two weeks, there's been four to five guys out every game. When you look at the bench, like last night in Minnesota, there was like three guys on the bench at at any given time. Um, And there's guys stepping up, doing things that, you know, 
we may not have expected of them, and, and they're playing well. This team's pulling out wins. Like Kamiara said that with past teams, you, you don't think they would pull off. I don't think last year's team would have won the Orlando game whenever Terrence Ross started cooking. Yeah. Like last year's team would have lost that game. I don't think I, last year's team would have won a lot of games that this team is winning. Like, true, they're they're beating teams that you they are expected to beat, and they're they don't give up. And oh, just, last year's team would have would have folded it up against the Rockets. Last year's team would have folded up against a lot of teams. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. like you look at OKC and they just they they do a lot of things differently this year instead of like losing and having a letdown against the teams they shouldn't, they are legitimately beating them unless you're just getting the doors blown off you by the Lakers C team. That was bull crap. Yeah. That's, that's like the anomaly yeah, of this but year. That's the thing though. It's an anomaly where last year it was uh it was a fairly consistent thing. You and, know and this year it's not not just that they're beating the teams that they're supposed to they're beating the teams that they're supposed to while undermanned always. Like I I can't remember the last time this team had their 13 or 14 guy, they're 13 because Dre's still on the roster. They're 13 yeah. guys all healthy, and they're still doing it undermanned. And again, it has to do with that next man up mentality and that everybody is a plug and play now because they know the system that they're working with. Whereas previously with Russ, I mean, and it's weird to think that the, the Rockets are happy with Russ and we're happy with CP3, which is right. pretty fun to think about actually. But uh, except we're the ones that got two picks out of it and two but, pick swaps. Yeah. But and, nobody's counting. <laughs> But it's it's weird to think that in previous years, you know, with Russ, they they would show ball movement at the beginning of the year, like, oh man, so Billy Donovan's gonna do the thunder, and then like two weeks later, it was all dead in the water. And so when a piece was missing, like you know, Surge or somebody is like Stephen Adams or whoever was playing wherever, uh, if somebody important was missing, this team was screwed. Like, oh, who's going to step up tonight? I have no clue because the bench is going to be eternally shitty. And, I, of course, Dennis Schroeder helps with that, but Dennis Schroeder wasn't doing this with Russ. Yeah, and you know, the bench has been absolutely phenomenal. incredible this year. Right. So it's just like now OKC, they're doing a lot of things because of this system that you can clearly tell is it put in place, and they're like living and dying by it. And, of course, if the bench is scoring 45-plus points a game, you're going to be living on it more than anything else. Definitely. I think it's fascinating to see, like, the narratives around the Clippers and the Rockets this year and compare that to what you just talked about and kind of what the narrative was around the Thunder the last two years. And I think there's a lot of similarities. You see a lot of chatter around the Clippers of, like, they're super talented on paper, but why isn't it necessarily translating to the court? Why are they continuing to come out flat against right. teams that they shouldn't come out flat against? Same thing with the Rockets. It's like, man, Russ has no help. He's doing it all. Nobody else is contributing. I think that there's probably a pair of common denominators in those scenarios that it might just be a little bit of a challenge to find the right personnel to place around those two guys. So one last theme that I want to throw out here. Jake, you mentioned the Thunder's bench continuing to score and, and to contribute, but the Thunder offense as a whole, uh, this is per Thunder Communications at Thunder PR. They tweeted this out after last night's game that the Thunder offense the last two games, um, 130 points per game on 59.3 shooting, so which is 96 of 162 field goals, 52.3% from three, which is 23 of 44. Three, three, uh three-point attempts uh, from the line. So it's, I mean, their, their offense has been pretty incredible over the past couple of games. And 
it, it continues to be. I think this season is something we talk about Chris Paul in the clutch, for example. It's been really impressive to watch this team and how they share the ball, how they move the ball, how they create for, for others, and then just Chris Paul taking over <laughs> during the clutch and like being able to, to score in the mid-range like he's been able to. Guys be, being able to hit outside shots, I think it's something that we've talked about that previous Thunder teams have missed. You know, having guys like Gallo, um, even Shooter shooting like he has been, it, it's really impressive. So anyways, I think that the Thunder's offense has certainly been a theme that we – probably should discuss a little bit over the yeah the they've week. they've been clicking they've been awesome uh kind of staying on that theme of of the offense playing well the team playing well they have four games until the trade deadline uh at home against the mavericks at the kings at the suns and then back home for the cavaliers goodness i mean three and one. Oh yeah i i was gonna say three and one just to be conservative but like if they went four and zero last week, there's they should absolutely go four and zero this week. I just you never know with the NBA. I think they'll go two and two, and I'm being pessimistic. Yeah, um, you never. <laughs> but two, two and two as a being two and two being pessimistic, yeah. right? And still like something. you're in the position where you are, and if you are able to beat the Mavs, and then you still have like a top ten easiest schedule for the rest of the season. Right? Oh yeah, I and, think they're the third easiest schedule in the West. Yeah. And like now like, awesome. you are that close to the five seed. Yep. Like holy crap. So so let's just let's just go on a wild ride down Imagination Road real quick. <laughs> That's my favorite road. Imagination. If this team wins these next four games before the deadline and they go into trade deadline Thursday on a nine game winning streak, best in the Western Conference. Uh and they're they're in the sixth seed. Does that change the way that Presti will approach the trade deadline, no, or or, or will it not? Because he's not going to focus short term. Yeah. Speaking of, we should probably bring up the Thunder have made a trade already. Uh, s- sent away Justin Patton uh, and eight hundred thousand dollars cash in return to get Isaiah Roby from Dallas. Um, that move trimmed the Thunder's luxury tax bill just a little bit i've told you guys off air but i I don't mind saying it on the podcast the thunder played the dallas mavericks g league team on thursday night i was at that game covering it uh and none other than isaiah roby was playing in that game and on my way back to my car down in the bowels of the cox center uh i was walking next to sam presti who was busy on his phone uh apparently sam uh if you put two and two together was there scouting isaiah roby uh, the day before he pulled the trigger on that trade, so kind of cool that uh, cool. that I got to see him there. And you know, obviously, I, I'm it wasn't like, "Hey, Sam, what's going on? Who are you talking to?" Oh, is that but, Mark Cuban? <laughs> um, but but kind of cool that uh, very clearly now in hindsight, he was there to watch Isaiah Roby, and 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 they pulled off that deal. But will will this change if they win these next four, uh, or if they lose the next four? Hell, I don't know. Does that change their overall outlook approaching? NBA I, trade deadline Thursday. I think that regardless of, you know, not even looking at the next four games, looking at, you know, even a month ago, I think this is kind of the way his his thinking may have shifted is like, I will go whatever direction the league takes me. If everybody's calling me at the trade deadline, you know, trying to buy and make us sellers and giving us incredible offers, guess what? Oklahoma City is going to be a seller at the deadline. But if 
the trade deadline comes around and guys are on the market for a lot cheaper than expected and Presti feels like he can really, really accelerate this rebuild and start trading um, for some, some young guys that can be pieces both now and in the future, sure, he's, he's going to be a buyer. So I think the record has, has no impact on the way Presti goes. I don't think he's going into it you know, as a buyer, as a seller. He's going to let the market come to him because he's in the perfect place to, to have that happen. And I don't think Presti, and this is just me guessing, I don't think Presti could have imagined that this team would be on the same pace with a much better possibility of a much better record and playoff positioning this year than last year coming into this year and now like you see the prices that people have been traded for and you look at Dennis Schroeder who is like or Schroeder he he pronounced his name Schroeder on the radio the night which really flew people for a loop because that's what the umlaut is for on the over his name but anyways (laughs) um so but looking at how Schroeder has played as six-man-of-the-year candidate, and he's really led the Thunder in scoring several nights in a row, or at least several nights out of the last 20 games. He's been the, the catalyst that leads them to wins, actually. Um, you look at Danilo Gallinari just the other night scoring 25 points on, like, 10 shots, and you're like, okay, if these guys are getting first-rounders, these guys are getting two second-rounders, uh, Gallinari better be going for a first and a young pick. Uh, Dennis Shooter better be, better be going for a first and a young pick. And so, like, you're looking at different ways in which this team is operating and, like, how this team has been successful. And so I, I think Presti's just I – think, I think he came to the year with the same idea. I think he's going to just ride the season with the same idea. I don't think he came into the season thinking, all right, I'm going to blow this thing up. And the, in the second half of the season, this team is going to suck balls, like, eternally. I think he was like, all right, well, we'll Eternal. dictate the market and let the market dictate the prices of these guys, and we'll operate according to that. So, um, to me, right now, if you get only a first-rounder for Gallinari and Shooter, like, you've been robbed as far as how these guys have been playing because they've been having career years, especially Dennis Shooter. And so, like, I think Sam Presti sees that and says, you know what? We're just going to ride this market out. And if we don't get what we want, we are 100% going to sign Gallinari to an extension because he wants to get paid and trade him to a team that he wants to go to. That's my right. thing is the, the Gallinari thing is so fascinating because he doesn't want to hit restricted free agency or not restricted, unrestricted free agency this summer because who has cap space to sign them? The Hawks. Right. He doesn't want to go play for the Hawks. So to me, the Thunder are in a great position as far as trades are concerned because if they can't trade Gallo like now at the trade deadline, they have all the leverage because Gallo's going to say, "Hey, give me, give me my, a contract, uh, sign and trade me somewhere else." Uh, I know you guys want to move on. I want to play for a team where I can be competitive. There is nobody that I want to sign with in unrestricted free agency. And so, I want my money as, at the same time. Yeah, the, the Thunder have a have a great great amount of um, of leverage there. Right. I think I, I just I agree with both Kamiar uh, and Nick. Just. And saying that, I think. <laughs> Sorry, Taylor. Uh, I'm so for those that don't know, I'm I'm sitting right next to Jake, and he is Jake. destroying a penny with like some vice script again. So that's how he was doing. Okay, this happened I last literally podcast. don't understand why, but you're ruining the currency of the United States, and I feel offended. Isn't this like a felony? I was gonna say FBI's uh, yeah. coming after Jacob. <laughs> I already have an FBI agent that like monitors all my shit, so Comey are just ratting me out. They're gonna come knock on the door here in like five minutes. He's over here with like 
he's over here with these like vice grips and these this dude's like squeezing <laughs> this penny grips. so hard but it's like between his legs so it looks like he's like just what? grabbing on for dear life for everything else and like i feel really uncomfortable right <laughs> behind now. the scenes at the i need something to keep myself preoccupied i think i've got like borderline adhd all right just continue the podcast please <laughs> this man up like a ball that squishes or something need a fidget spinner <laughs> yeah, no kidding um no i was just gonna say that I think uh, Presley has always had a kind of a roadmap plan, like we mentioned in previous podcasts. But I think the recent play and the play so far this season of this team has kind of persuaded that a little bit or affected that a little bit um, in the sense that it's, it's raised the trade value for all these guys. So Presley isn't going to just take what he may have taken at the beginning of the season for a Chris Paul or a Gallinari or a Dennis Schroeder. Those asking prices are going to be much higher now because if Presley doesn't get what he, exactly what he wants – which he may be asking for a steal again. Like, and you know, who knows? But if he doesn't get that, he's fine with just riding out the rest of the season and making a playoff push, seeing how far you go, and then blowing it up this summer, right? And so I think the recent play of this team so far this season has certainly impacted that and influenced his decision-making in the sense that it's just it's raised all the trade values of all these different players. I like it. Um, you guys ready to move to around the association so we can talk some more trade stuff? Yes. Yes. All right. Here's the good sounder. Here we go. I don't even know where you're sitting at. Like. know where Kawhi was sitting at this past weekend well yeah strip you club, do right? strip club in a new balance shirt Hashtag. what kind of grandpa stuff did who goes into a strip club wearing a new balance shirt probably darius baisley <laughs> can baisley even get in the strip club yeah, probably not. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you have to be 18 to get in the strip club right not 21 but, hashtag I mean, load like, management it's just like Managing that uh that load <laughs> oh, no. but it's just like, what type of load is he managing <laughs> I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> it's just like, you know, Kawhi's resting on a back-to-back in the strip club. It's like, I feel I, I feel weird about it. But, I mean, like... Kawhi, Kawhi DMP, too many loads managed at the club. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the opposite. Whole, I mean, like... Whole new meaning it's like that the opposite. He's, at least he's sitting out after he goes to a strip club, unlike Harden, who just... Who just has a bad game or a good game, depending upon. What would you do if Harden uh, was like playing in a game and you like, and it's it's notorious that like Atlanta has, I guess, the best or the highest rated strip club, so he always plays bad in Atlanta. What would you do if Harden was playing in Atlanta and he walks out on the court after they announced him, and this dude just has like a awful case of pink eye? <laughs> yeah. That'd be Kevin Durant. <laughs> Because of that rumor uh, that he likes to have farts in the face and the eye. Remember that? Yeah. Let's get uh, back on track before this goes really sideways. Hey, I think uh, we're already there. We don't have to mark this podcast explicit, do we? <laughs> All right, so. Sideways. Nick has no Nick has no business saying things about going sideways. I remember All the right. slack, buddy. Moving <laughs> on. All right, so trade deadline predictions. What I want to do is I want us to look through all 16 current playoff teams, which there's a good chance that like 14 of those are, are pretty much locked in. And I want you guys to tell me, will that, that team be a buyer, a seller, 
or will they stand pat as the deadline approaches? Um, and, and if they are a buyer or a seller, um, what exactly, like give us a general idea of what you think they should do. Uh, let's kind of burn through these the, uh, pretty quickly. That way we don't waste too much time. Uh, but let's start in the east at the top. Taylor, the Milwaukee Bucks, will they be buyer, sellers, or are they going to stand pat? I think they would like to think that they're going to be buyers. Um, I think they would like to acquire either another ball handler slash playmaker uh, that can kind of come into that second unit. And also, like every other team in the entire stinking league, they're looking for a 3-and-D player, an additional 3-and-D player, right? But with that being said, I think this is a team that when it, if they don't get the right deal, they're going to stand pat. You know, they're not going to risk it all to try and get a Robert Covington or a Chris Paul, for example. Although those are a couple of guys that maybe have been thrown out there. Um, I also, think- a rumor around going around that um, uh, Eric Bledsoe, uh, they are willing to throw him into a package. So. Which I think is, is them trying to find one of those, you know, like tr- trying to find one of those. Yeah. But like imagine like a Dennis Shooter coming off the bench for Milwaukee. That almost instantly puts them, I, they're already for, in contention for the top of the East, but goodness and i'm not saying there's yep. a way for them to even be able to do that just hypothetically um so i i think they would like to be a buyer but they'll just kind of have to see what kind of offers um they're able to to get some bites on can All i right. please 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 say something before we move on hurry um i had a is it about pink eye no i had a <laughs> hypothetical today i was doing a trade piece and uh what, what would you think i know it would be mortgaging their future but what if the bucks traded um Dante DiVincenzo, Ersan Eliasova, Eric Bledsoe, and two first-round picks for D'Lo starting to make kind of oh, a, wow. a campaign to keep Giannis around early. That's interesting. They'd have to go find some other pieces elsewhere, some two-way guys or, or some buyout guys or something to fill out the rest of that roster, but that's fascinating. Yeah. I hate it. <laughs> uh, well, Calmier, why don't you tell us about the Toronto Raptors? Should they be buyer-sellers or stand pat? I think... I mean, they're currently second in the East. I don't think they're going to end up buying because I they just don't they don't have the team to win an NBA title. They just don't. I mean, Pascal Siakam's fantastic. Kyle Lowry will turn into playoff Kyle Lowry, and then you'll have some issues. Uh, Van Vliet, I don't know if he's even going to be there next year. He's going to require lots of cash. Uh, so like honestly, I think they should just stay stand pat or even just start selling because I think their title run is over. Uh, I think that their guys even know that their title run is over. Uh, once you lose a Kawhi Leonard, you know you're not going to be winning a lot of titles, especially if the Celtics, if and when the Celtics figure out figure it out. The Heat, I mean, they're doing it with just a bunch of non superstars except Jimmy Butler. The 76ers, when they get healthy and Ben Simmons maybe stops sucking. Like, it's just like, they, to me, Ben's they been good. Buy. It's been in beat. It's kind of been hot, hot garbage. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Raptors, <laughs> should me, to me, they should not buy because I think you're just going to be stuck in that place that Presti says he doesn't want to be, which is in the middle. Yep. You don't want to be, you don't want to be there consistently. Like, oh, yeah, we're consistently pretty good, but that's about it. We're not great. And so, I think they should start honestly just selling off things for the future because Kyle Lowry is not young anymore. Ibaka, Gasol. Ibaka's real age is not really young anymore. Real age. Gasol's up there. Uh, Pascal Siakam himself is not young. He's in his prime that people don't realize that. Yep. Uh, So I think they should start selling, quite frankly. But I wouldn't be surprised if they just stood pat and just let this one run its course and see what they can get for Siakam eventually. I like it. Um, Nick. 
the Miami Heat, buyers, sellers, or stand pat? I think they are going to stand pat unless they get a really, really good deal for a guy like Gallo or something, which probably won't happen. I think more than likely they're going to stick with what they got. They got a lot of young guys that are performing a lot better than people thought. And, I mean, there's really no reason to, to blow up this chemistry they have unless it's a, a no-brainer type of deal. They also probably want to keep uh, their books clean for 2021 when they can go out and get a, a big-name free agent as well. Certainly. Uh, Justin, we'll go to you. The Boston Celtics, should they be buyers, sellers, or should they stand pat? I think the, the Celtics should buy, and I think they need to look at getting a more serious option at center. I think uh, somebody that could maybe be a better rim protector for them is probably an upgrade over who they currently have in Dice and Cantor. I would love to see them go after somebody like maybe a Tristan Thompson. That one makes a lot he'd of sense. Be an interesting fit. Nerlens Noel. Or Nerlens Noel could also potentially be a fit. Um, Cody Zeller is maybe less exciting, but. I think somebody somebody in that range that can kind of shore up the middle. The problem for them is in order to make a trade for somebody like that, they're going to have to give up one of their core guys. They're not going to give up yeah, any of the young wings. True. They're not going to give up Brown or Tatum. Uh, so you might be looking at a Gordon Hayward or a Marcus Smart who have been uh, in very important playing vital roles for that team. Um, should I do one? I'll, I'll go yeah. ahead and do one. The Indiana Pacers. I'm, I'm going to say the Pacers should stand pat. Uh, because they are essentially already buyers. They're getting Victor Oladipo back. They are adding to their team, uh, who's what a team that's already been pretty solid. Uh, and I personally, I am very, very excited for the return of Vic. Uh, it should be awesome. So they don't need to do anything else right now. They've got Brogdon. Uh, they've got Sabonis. They've got Miles Turner. And now pulling in Victor Oladipo, getting him back from injury. That's like adding something at the trade deadline already. Uh, so they can stand pat. Taylor, the 76ers, a very fascinating team, a team that's been rumored to have inquired on Danilo Gallinari. Uh, should they be buyers, sellers, or stand pat? This is an easy one. They're buy they're already buyers for a reason. Um, they've been linked to, like you said, Gallo. They've been linked to uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. They've been linked to, um, I think, Robert Covington. So they want shooting. They want shooting, and they also could benefit from another playmaker. You know, we've we've talked about this a lot. Um, they threw in what's his name? I don't even remember his name. They're like what second, third string backup point guard um, when MB was out and had Ben Simmons running some pick and roll with him, and it worked perfect. And this Nito, uh, whatever uh, something Nito. Anyways, Raul. Yeah. <laughs> Say that um, again. Raul. One more time. Oh wait. Okay. We miss it. Go on, Taylor. <clears throat> Sorry, I choked. Um, either way, <laughs> either way, I think they could really benefit from from another playmaker as well. But they're obviously targeting a wing who can short, uh, who can score and, and and space the floor for Ben Simmons and also another backup playmaker. So I think they'll be buyers. Very good, Kamiar. The Orlando Magic currently seventh in the East. Should they be buyers, sellers, or should they stand pat? Honestly, don't care about the Magic. <laughs> uh, their best player is probably who? Evan Fournier. If yeah. not, maybe like Aaron Gordon, who I still believe Markel is a Fultz. crappy version of Blake Griffin, uh, who can't shoot as well and is 
you know, I don't know. I don't like Aaron Gordon at all. He also looks like create a creative player on it in 2K because he has no defining features. Him and Clay Thompson. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of yeah. weird. Uh, but I mean, like to me, like what what do you do? What do you do with that franchise? Like again, it's kind of that idea of what Presti says. Like, oh, you don't want to be like in the middle. So like they have Fournier, who's a good piece, but like is he a guy going forward? If especially if you have Aaron Gordon and Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac and Mo Bamba and all those guys that are pretty young, to me probably not. Uh, so like you should, you might sell, but at the same time you might just stand pat and let those young guys work it out. I have no clue what they would be doing. Yeah, you have Vucevic I, too, and like I just think yeah. to me you got to sell off Vucevic and. Vucevic or whatever you want to say it, and Evan Fournier, if you really want to rebuild that thing uh, with Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac and wh- whoever else is there, Aaron Gordon. I think for the long-term health of the franchise, they should sell. Will they, though? I don't know. Um, Nick, the Brooklyn Nets. Buyers, sellers are standing pat. The Brooklyn Nets will be long-term buyers they're going to make some moves and you're going to say yeah that makes absolutely no sense for this year but it makes sense for when KD comes back next year so they're going to do what Kyrie Irving said and they're going to trade away all the guys that he said he didn't like yeah I can see it yeah all right well let's move to the western conference now uh I will take the first one here which is the Los Angeles Lakers and the Lakers are going to be buyers they need some guard help. Uh, Rondo has not been good. Contavious Caldwell Pope has maybe never been good. Uh, and they have a one piece out there to dangle, which would be Kyle Kuzma. Um, there, I think there's a chance that they trade him off uh, to try to get another vet in there to to play some, some minutes at the guard spot, uh, another shot creator, another ball handler. Uh, I think that's what the Lakers are going to be looking for. So that that's what I've got. Taylor, you take the Utah Jazz, who have been surging lately. Will they be buyer-sellers or stand pat? I think Jazz is a team, and I, I hate using this answer because it seems like you're kind of taking the easy way out, but they're going to be standing pat. They already made their um, acquisition of Jordan Clarkson, which, as you said, they've been surging. and Yeah, and even back to the summer, they've been buying. Right, it, exactly. I feel like they made a lot of their huge moves. They just got Conley back. They're starting to kind of integrate him back into the lineup. Um, they'll be staying pat unless they're able to find another cheap, um, beneficial deal like the Jordan Clarkson deal, which I don't know how many more of those are available. So I see them kind of kind of just taking it from here and building on what they have going between Donovan Mitchell's great play, um, Rudy Gobert's playing incredible. He'll be an all-star this year as well. And then you have, um, like I said, Conley coming back to the lineup and Jordan Clarkson uh, recently being traded for. So I'm going to standing pat. Nice. Nick. The Denver Nuggets. I think this is an interesting one. Do you think they should buy, sell, or stand pat? I think neither uh, or none of the above. Um, I think there should be a fourth bucket that's more of like a retool. I feel like they have a lot of guys that do the same thing. They've got a ton of power forwards. Um, they got a ton of efficient like shooting combo guard uh, type players. I think they just need to... Not necessarily buy, sell, or stand pat, but kind of make some position swaps. So, uh, um, retool, what, replenish, and reposition. There you go. Oh. Um, that they need to uh, cash in the chips for one big chip, right? Like get rid of a Gary Harris, get rid of a Malik Beasley, try to cash those things in to get uh, a player that maybe fits a little bit better. Yep. That would also open up some time for Michael Porter Jr. as well. I'm with you. I like that one. Call me, Art. You get the Los Angeles Clippers. Buy, sell, or stand pat. 
I think they're going to end up standing pat. Um, once you have Kawhi and PG not taking half nights off because they're busy at the strip club, and when PG's <laughs> not when PG's not busy, you know, like figuring out which team he loved growing up, um, you know, they'll actually make a really good team. And like, there's been rumors like, oh, the the Lake, the Clippers players are upset how the treatment of Kawhi and PG are different than other players, and like. Of course, all the other players in the team are like, who's making up these rumors? Like, that's so much BS. I think they have a, honestly, I think they have a really good team. Right. Um, like, where, where they are out in the standings doesn't, like, really show how good they are as a team if Kawhi and PG are s- consistently taking nights off and they're, like, relying on one of the two in Lou Will to win them games. Uh, I think they're going to stand pat. I don't see any reason for them to buy. Uh, they might b- get, like, Try to get somebody, but they can't send any picks because OKC has all their picks. They can actually send this year's first. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> so like pick number twenty-seven. Yeah, who, who cares? You know. Yeah. Uh, so like I don't see any. They're they're not going to get anything good with that pick unless it's like I don't know. They're not going to get anything good with that pick. Uh, so I think they need a center still. I right. think they need some size, just mainly for the Lakers matchup. And I I, I think the, you got to keep an eye on Trez as well. Like, is he actually happy? Because if he's not. You don't want to lose them for anything. They so would also have to pay Trez a lot next year. So right. it's an interesting one. But ultimately, I think I'm with you. I think they're just going to ride this out with yeah, what they I got. I don't see anything. And who, who says it's going to be those two in the Western Conference Finals? It'll probably be them and the Jazz. Yep. <laughs> um, Justin, you get the next team, the Houston Rockets. Ooh. Buy, sell, stand pat. I think the Rockets are going to buy out. Like Rockets Plot being twist. buyers? I no, would have hold on. No, oh. no, don't miss the word buy out on the buyout. Oh, there you go. Clever, uh, very clever. Plot twist. Daryl um, Morey has always so tried to buy. They don't have. They don't. They're terrified of going into the luxury tax. They don't have any good tradable salaries because Westbrook and Harden make five hundred million dollars. And so you're saying they're, they're stuck with two aging superstars. Who are on the Weird back end of their prime, while the Thunder <laughs> have two of their picks and two swaps, yeah, and I their owners cheap. But last year, they picked up Austin Rivers and Kenneth Fareed on the buyout market. So I think they've shown an ability to find decent assets on the buyout market. I think the obvious pick would be if a guy like Igadala ends up on the buyout market. I think he'd be a, a great addition for them that they could potentially get at an affordable price. But beyond that, I don't think there's much for them to do. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Uh, I'll take the next one, which is the Dallas Mavericks. Another fun team. Uh, and I think they're going to stand pat. I think they've made the move that they have to make, which is they picked up Willie Cauley-Stein to fill the role of Dwight Powell since Powell is Thanks out with that Achilles injury. to the Oklahoma City Thunder, giving them yep. an open roster spot. So I, I think they're going to pick up uh, well, not. I think they're going to pick up. They did pick up Willie Cauley Stein. I think that's all they can do. They don't have any young assets. They don't have draft picks to trade because they're all going to the Knicks. And they can't trade a pick to like 2025. And nobody wants that pick because Luka's going to be 26 that year. That pick's going to be worthless. So uh, the Mavericks are standing pat. Uh, last one because we're going to skip the Thunder uh, because we've discussed them at nauseum. The Memphis Grizzlies, Taylor, buy, sell. Or stand pat. This is an easy one. They are going to be sellers only because of Andre Iguodala. Outside of that, they'll stand pat. Um, so they will trade Iggy 
might have to test something with that depending on how big the trade is. Um, they will trade Iggy because the market's going to be there for him. Um, but outside of that, I think they'll essentially stand pat. But yeah, they're going to trade Andre Iguodala. I like it. So guys, this exercise, what it's told me is there's a lot of buyers. Yep. And very few sellers. <laughs> and the Thunder have got some shit to sell. <laughs> yeah, they, they do. do. Going to go peddle their wares, if you will. Um, so interesting, interesting. I, I'm hoping that the deadline uh, has some fireworks and is exciting uh, for the NBA because the deadline's like my Christmas. I, I love agree. the trade deadline. I, I'm so excited. It's a, it should be a national holiday. Like, I will vote for whichever presidential candidate makes <laughs> the NBA trade deadline a national holiday. I love that so much. I, I am so there. <laughs> Doesn't matter what side of the spectrum they're on, left or right, Republican or Democrat. I'm a Chiefs if, fan, and I may be more excited about – Oh, hi. I'm equally excited about the trade deadline as I am the Super Bowl going up this Sunday. That's uh, that's surprising. Um, all right, guys. Any other thoughts around the association before we wrap this thing up? I mean, Zion just looks awesome, but outside of that, I got nothing. <laughs> Call me or just very clearly rolled his eyes. He is not happy. <laughs> Fat Julius Randle. <laughs> it's, it's fat Julius Randle. He is pretty big, but he's also he's big. Pretty good. But he's like, oh, oh yeah, he's fantastic in his in his debut, and people don't know how to guard him. Like when the scouting report's not out on him yet, other than he's just fat Julius Randle. We're not sure how to guard him, but like I respecting, I, I, I respect you sticking to your take, Skip Bayless. But hold on, <laughs> my take is correct. I don't know about you. One hundred percent, what Skip would say. But, Skip. Skip. No. Skip. Hold on, hold on, hold on. This is some garbage. He is 100% fat Julius Randle. And until he shows me in like 30 games him being consistent. Like, did you see the way he shot those three-pointers? He barely even jumped. He didn't jump. And he looked like That's fair. he, looked like he recoiled on each shot. Like, this is, this is luck. I like, think this is my I new think favorite. Kamiar and I could have a, a Skip Bayless, uh, Shannon Sharp oh, type uh, show because we have opposite takes on literally everything. You don't think I he's wish, fat, Julius Randall? <laughs> I wish we could get into the Jarrett Culver versus Baisley thing tonight because that would be that was a lot of fun earlier. No, because slide. then I'm right on that one too. So why would we have to argue about it? <laughs> All right, let's like, yeah. let's wrap this podcast up with a new sounder for the wrap it up segment that I'm really proud of. Here we go. You better wrap it up. And a nice beat to go behind it, too. God, I'm good at what I do. I'm just just going to gas myself up there for a second. We're going to get sued by Chappelle's show. Hey, I'm about to break out If Chappelle wants to contact me to file a lawsuit, Chappelle, go ahead. All right, guys, to wrap it up, two major pop culture slash fantasy prequels are in the works. Uh, We have the new Lord of the Rings series that Amazon is putting together. We also have HBO's new Game of Thrones project, uh, Fire and Blood, which is the story of the Targaryen line. With that being said, I want to know what are some other spinoffs that can be prequels or sequels, doesn't matter, that would be fun or funny if they were made. I'll get us kicked off. I think we should get a sequel series to King of the Hill that follows Bobby Hill throughout college. I would That's 100% awesome. Where would go- Bobby Hill would go to like... He, or, he's or going to school. UT. He would go to UT, you think? Oh, if he didn't go to UT, 
uh, Hank would disown him. I'm gonna guess he would go to UT because he's not very smart. So, it's <laughs> good. Not All right, what do you guys got? I I'll, got I got one. Um, there's a it's more than a sequel, but it's just like kind of like what you did. Um, Friday Night Lights, the series. Coach Eric Taylor. They're gonna look at him, what the job he's doing in Philadelphia, while also following their piece of crap, selfish daughter Julie Taylor and Matt Saracen, and seeing how they got divorced. It's gonna be fantastic. Ooh, I, like I like it. That. I like it. Such a good show. So I'm, man. I'm going Friday for some Lights. for some low hanging fruit here, but we need a sequel for The Office. We need a sequel for The Office and Parks and Rec for that matter as well. If Michael Scott's not in it, I'm not watching it. Agreed. That's agreed. Fair. I would like a, a spinoff of Game of Thrones where the last season was good. <laughs> yeah, same. True. Uh, but really, a real answer is I love Better Call Saul. Yes. And so I just want Vince Gilligan to just like keep going. Just keep taking me into that world and keep Agreed. re-exploring it because I'm here Breaking for Breaking Bad is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. So good. Nick, you got anything for this one? You know, um, I do, and it's it's for Kamiar because I know he's too embarrassed to say it, but just for him, I'd like a, a prequel to Frozen. <laughs> Very good. Very good. I want a sequel to the Aaron Hernandez documentary, but <laughs> oh just God. specifically about the guy that com- that said that they had sexual relations that was like, apparently like a lot of people are speaking out against the guy and being like, no, a lot of things he's saying is false. So I just want to spin off about that guy, not Aaron Hernandez. There you go. There you go. Um, selfishly, I just want more Dragon Ball Z. I, I Give me another thinking, sequel. Like, what can we do? With, yeah, I'm with you. We already have a prequel called Dragon Ball. We already have a sequel called Dragon Ball Super. Give me more. But Super Put was it like, in my Super veins. In I feel like though. we'd be more annoyed, though, Like now that we're not like kids of with goku screaming That's for so 10 true. of true. the 18 minutes you got of the episode but yeah. so but <laughs> super took place between like the time jump and the finale of i'm gonna get super nerdy here but in the time jump of the finale of uh of z and z, gt right so yeah but gt wasn't oh, made by the original creator yeah, of dragon ball there you go. uh and we don't talk about gt because it sucked agreed so I would love another season of Freaks and Geeks. Oh, that's a good one. Did you guys ever watch yes. that show? Jason oh, Segel so in the early good. years. It's like Jason Segel, James guys. Franco, yeah. like, and it was um, Judd Apatow, like before he did all the movies that everybody knows. I recently just rewatched a lot of that series, and there's only like what one or two seasons. It was one yeah, season. It wasn't very long. Yeah. Any others? I think I'm good. That's I'm trying to think. Now. I don't think I have any more. Uh, we could add. No, not that's not the right. Never mind. I'm good. I've got one. Okay. Uh, how about a prequel to Step Brothers, where we get the younger lives uh, kind of backstory on uh, both of the brothers? That could be good. That'd be funny. I love Step Brothers. The more Step Brothers, the better. That that could be a good one. I like it. I was trying to think. Like, is there? Anything that Tarantino's done that I want like a sequel or a prequel yeah. to, but everyone typically dies at the end. I mean, so. Star Wars. Star Wars is so <laughs> wide. Like room. they're just—I feel like they're already doing a lot of these. Um, yeah, we're already we're already getting all the Star Wars right, stuff, right. so it doesn't really count. All right. Well, I guess that'll be it for the wrapping it up segment today, guys. 
It was good. Yeehaw. That was fun. I like that new sound. And, and, and a fun little sounder uh, there at the end of it as well. So Stay tuned for it tomorrow night when we debut our new uh, post-game sounder. Hey, I already dropped it yesterday, bro. Oh, oh I forgot. Yeah, get, sorry. Good get with the program. Good point. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for checking out our podcast. Uh, as we said at the top, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to get these episodes downloaded to your device uh, as soon as they drop. Um, also, again, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant and his daughter. Uh, just awful news in the NBA today. Our thoughts go out to family and friends and, and anybody who who is struggling through that. I know Kobe touched a lot of people's lives, whether we knew him or not. So uh, our, our thoughts are with everybody, uh, especially everybody associated in the league at this time. You guys have a great Monday. We will be back with you uh, tomorrow night after the Thunder take on the Dallas Mavericks for the showdown for the sixth place in the Western Conference. Should be a good one. Um, and then we'll be back with you for the rest of the games during the week as well. Uh, we will have a bit of a programming change coming at the end of this week into next week due to some technical issues. We will let you guys know about that as soon as possible. Um, but until then, have a great start of your week. And as always, thunder up. Don't get coronavirus. <laughs> Stay safe. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.